0: Welcome in basketball fans. This is the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Saar. Um, I've got Tim McMahon here from ESPN to talk about the Mavericks and the Suns. How are you doing Tim? I'm good. How about you? Doing pretty good. Just a great day outside and time for some basketball. So I've noticed that the Suns and the Mavericks are both uh, at 14 and 29 uh, at the bottom of the Western Conference. Uh, What have you been seeing from the Mavericks so far this year?
1: Well, obviously, they've had some major, major health issues, uh, darkness in most of the first two months being the uh, biggest one of those. And, you know, they've been playing better basketball lately, probably uh, in the too little, too late category, although <laughs> with the, uh, the fact that there's really only seven legitimate playoff teams in the Western Conference, who knows? But, uh, I mean, it, the Mavericks are really kind of in a uh, kind of an NBA purgatory Sort of state here where they don't want to go full fledged rebuilding mode or tanking or whatever you want to call it during Dirk's twilight. Uh, they, you know, they they feel like they owe it to him to give him every possible chance to at least compete for a playoff spot during the last year or two of his career. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the, the way this roster is constructed, the reality is they're probably just simply not good enough to get into the playoffs. So. They're going to try to win as many games as possible. And let the pick fall where it may. And you know, a, a good guess is it'll be probably somewhere in like the six to eight range.
0: Yeah. So to capitalize on what Tim's saying for everybody else, uh, between the eighth and the last spots, the 15th spot in the West, um, they're all separated by four wins. Suns, the Mavericks, have 14, and the Denver Nuggets right now have 18 wins, and in between there is the Trailblazers, Pelicans, Kings, Timberwolves, and Lakers all bunched together. Whoever, basically, everybody's vying to get severely swept by the Warriors by the playoffs. We'll see what happens. I'm my bets on the Trailblazers. What do you think?
1: Uh you know what? I'm going to go with the Nuggets. I, I just think Jokic is—I is, mean, he is absolutely phenomenal for a 21-year-old mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, Denver can fill it up. Denver can screw now. You know, obviously, you can say the same thing uh, about the Trailblazers, but Portland has such such. Severe defensive problems. That, uh, I'm going to go with Denver. I, I think the Nuggets are a, a team on the rise, whereas Portland, I think, is a team that probably overachieved last year. Certainly, there was the surprise of the West last season, not just uh, getting to the playoffs, but then you know going around, uh, you know, winning the first round. Um, but I, I just think that the Trailblazers right now are are a team that's kind of trying to figure out what works and, and whether the McCollum-Lillard uh, pairing can work long term, uh, which I think it could if they had a rim protector, but the problem is they're probably going to eventually have to give up one of those guys if they're going to get a premier rim protector.
0: Yeah, that's really their problem is they can't anchor the defense, but the Lillard and McCollum aren't necessarily good enough perimeter defenders to really make up for the fact that they're such good offensive players. Um, to get back to the Mavericks, uh, see, when I was watching the Suns Mavericks teams or hearing about everything about that team, it seems like they they kind of have just random people go off for scoring. No one's really necessarily that consistent. What do you think?
1: You're talking about the Mavericks?
0: Yeah, the Mavericks, yes. I, Harrison Barnes has been awfully consistent.
1: He, you know, he's been put up 20-plus uh, all season long you know, with Dirk, without Dirk. He's, he's average double figures. I'm sorry. He scored in double figures in every single game this season. And when you talk about what's gone right for the Mavericks this season, you know Barnes is, is clearly uh, at the top of the list. And mm. had, I mean, no question about it. You know, they they gave him max contract. A lot of people raised their eyebrows at that. Uh, the widely, you know, the widely uh, considered person, you know, belief around the league was that he did not have the capability to be. A uh, primary offensive option. Mm-hmm. He was a, a number three at best. Uh, obviously, he was a number four guy in, in Gold State, and, and he's proven that wrong. And I, and I don't know that he can be a go-to guy on a perennial playoff team, mm-hmm. but he can certainly be a, a, a number two guy. Um, so he, he's been consistent. And then after that, you know, who's healthy? It, right you know, now, JJ Barea is out for uh, a while. Yeah. having strained that calf for the third time this season. You know, he's been good at times. Uh, Darren Williams was hurt early on. He's played better lately. Wesley Matthews got off to a horrible start. He's actually played awfully well for the last, uh, I don't know, months and a half or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the, the problem with the Mavericks, really, is that every guy that they have is, is one or two slots too high. Mm-hmm. Barnes would be a great third guy, a solid number two guy. He's a clear-cut go-to guy. Wes would be a phenomenal fourth option. He's a number two guy, and, and kind of so on and so forth.
0: Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I have, I have Harrison Barnes preseason as my pick for uh, most improved player of the year. I don't know if he'll get that, but it's, it's one of my picks. And he just he is really good. Although, my thought was people were saying Kawhi Leonard was a system player. And I think that it seems like Harrison Barnes was a system player in terms of, I mean, we'll see if he can keep up his scoring load and to really do that. I don't know if he has what it takes to, like you said, be consistent for a long period of time. But I think he's what people think of when they see system player, compared to well, Kawhi Leonard. I'll, I'll, I'll say this: putting, letting him play the
1: vast majority of his minutes at power forward has really kind of uh, unlocked his offensive potential. Um, obviously, he, he's got a quickness advantage on mm-hmm. a lot of those power forwards. And awesome. the big question on Barnes was: was he going to be able to create his own offense? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you look at he, he, you look at his ISO numbers. Uh, he's run more ISO plays than anybody in the league, other in Westbrook or Harden. Um, and in, in terms of heavy ISO players, you know, he, he ranks right up near the top in efficiency. And, I mean, they're running, a, they're running Dirk's old playbook. All the plays that you saw Dirk running during the 2011 championship run, those are Harrison Barnes' plays now, and he's done well with them. So, I mean, you, you can talk about system player, but, you know, uh, the, the system doesn't help you beat a guy one-on-one off the dribble,
0: and then finish in traffic, and that's what he's been able to do consistently. For sure, for sure. So, I did want to get your uh, thoughts on uh, the Suns players. What do you think of Booker, Chris Bender, Len, all the and the like when you see them play against the Mavs or some other time?
1: Well, you know, Chris and Bender, I think it's way too early to have uh, much of an opinion on those guys, mm-hmm. other than you know, there's obvious raw talent there. I mean, Chris is is remarkably. Athletic At this point, that's all he is. Um, Bender, you know, the, the the size, the skill, you know, you can see the potential. But he, he's not ready to play significant minutes in the NBA right now and, and actually be a contributor. But that doesn't mean that he won't be uh, down the road. I mean, hey, go back and look. I'm not, By the way, I am not saying he's going to be Dirk, but go back and look at Dirk's rookie season. <laughs> he was a young guy coming over from Europe who absolutely wasn't ready to play in the NBA, was not a, a contributor, was you know was not a productive player as a rookie, and he certainly ended up being okay. Uh, Seven-foot-one guys who can shoot the ball, <laughs> those guys tend to find a home in the league. Yep. Now, Booker, I mean, look, Booker is already a really good player. I should say a really good scorer uh, who, you know, the challenge for him is going to be can he round out his game? Can he do things other than scoring? That uh, can help the Suns win, but you know when uh, when the Suns were in Dallas, I, I talked to Tyson Chandler. Obviously, got to know him during his two stints with the Mavericks, mm-hmm. and he absolutely loves Booker. Loves, I mm-hmm. uh, you know, loves kind of the way that Booker embraces having him as his vet, and you know, is always the, obviously two totally different positions, but is always uh, picking Tyson's brain, and, and, and you know, certainly uh, embraces the wisdom that Tyson's trying to share with him. He, he wants to learn how to be a pro. He wants to be great. Uh, and, and Tyson just raved about his character. So you see a guy with that kind of scoring ability at this age, you know, I'll take Tyson's word uh, on, on the kid's character, kind of what he's made of, and I would say the future is extremely bright for Devin Booker.
0: Yes, he, I mean, he scored 239 points in a row in Mexico City against the Mavs and the Spurs, and that's, I mean, he was, that's like the 20... Around the twentieth best scoring margins, scoring outings for players twenty under twenty-one, which Devin Booker just recently in October turned twenty. So it's kind of amazing how he has the maturity and his ability to really play. He, he always has tough hard fouls when he needs to when he should. He's able to his floor game is better. He's able to move around and not just be a spot up shooter. But just last just uh, last night against uh, the Knicks, I mean. He Bledsoe drove, kicked it out to him, and he just drained it, and it won the game. So it's it's really, he has a lot to offer. Hopefully he could get better on defense and things like that, but uh, we'll see. So you were saying that the um, Booker and, and Bender and Chris are too raw to really contribute. So your thoughts, obviously the Mavs do this seemingly differently with rookies. They don't play them. But um, Suns Twitter and all that whole thing are suggesting that Playing all the young guys heavy, heavy, well, over twenty minutes a game every day, every game should be should happen. And what do you think about playing young guys lots of minutes, or do they need to get confidence? What do you think about that?
1: Well, you know what? I, I think it's a it's a case to case situation. You know, mm-hmm. I'm working on a project on Rudy Gobert now, and that's a guy who barely played at all his rookie year. And talking to people in Utah, they say that's the absolute best thing that happened. You know, they they feel very fortunate that there weren't. Uh, you know, an injury to some of their veteran bigs at the time that would have forced him to play more minutes simply because he needed uh, something resembling a redshirt year. He needed uh, the weight room to be his primary focus during his rookie season. He did not have an NBA, obviously, he had NBA length, mm-hmm. but he did not have NBA strength. He did yeah. not have an NBA body in terms of sturdiness and, 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 and power at that time. And certainly, I look at a guy like Dragan Bender. And I would say that uh, time in the weight room at this point is probably much more valuable to him than time on the floor if he's not contributing. And you know, I don't even I forget confidence. Uh, he needs to get stronger he's in the lower body. Really yeah. hard. Yeah, exactly. It, it is really, really hard to uh, build strength and, and commit to that kind of a uh, strength and conditioning program during the season if you're playing 25, 30 minutes a night, you know, if you're getting consistent minutes, now, you know, if you're kind of a fringe rotation player, some nights you're getting time, you know, a lot of nights you're not, then you can make the weight room the top priority. Like I said, I know that 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 certainly paid major dividends for Rudy Gobert, and, you know, I I look at Dragan Bender being kind of the the same type of, uh, not not the same type of player, but in the same sort of situation Mm -hmm. where his physique should be the top priority in terms of his development at this point. Whereas Chris, I think, is is uh, definitely more NBA ready in terms of uh, you know his body. I mean, the athleticism. You don't have to be a scout to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for him, and and look, he's he's in the starting lineup. Uh, he, he's getting minutes. Um, you know, there there needs to be some skill development with him. Um, but you know, I, I I don't I don't see any. Reason to complain about kind of the way that they're progressing with at all.
0: Yeah, they both can shoot. They both can, they both have the length to defend, but not the, necessarily the awareness as you would expect from rookies. I mean, I heard Chris is just turned twenty, or yeah, just turned twenty, and he's only been playing basketball for about six years ever, like organized basketball. And for the, him, just I see the, the everything that he's growing in already, and is rolling, and obviously. He has the athleticism, but it's the awareness and the defense, and the ability to not pick up fouls. But I just think there's a lot to do in mentally, and obviously in the weight room before you're before necessarily all this game action is going to take you to the next level.
1: Yeah, and I, and I will say this: you know, I, I mentioned Tyson. Uh, obviously, Tyson wishes that uh, he was in a more competitive situation at this point in his career. He's really embraced, uh, you know, kind of being the guy who mentors these young kids. And I know Jared Dudley is a, is a great vet. He's got a lot of knowledge. I think E.J. Tucker's a guy who can really help those guys out. So, you know, in that locker room, they've got some guys who have to be great influences on, on the kids who are, you know, certainly the Suns hope going to be the core uh, of that franchise once they get back to a uh, point where they can compete for playoff spots, maybe something more than
0: that. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw Chris asking Tyson different questions in timeouts, just like wanting to learn, soak it up like a sponge, everything they can to know how to play certain actions and how where to help and where not to help. I mean, that's key. Even even former MVP Derek Rose didn't know how to help correctly and gave Booker the the three that that won the game last night against the Knicks. So I mean, well, Rose wasn't the MVP because of his defense. That's for dang sure um but he i did see some things from rose last night that were vintage rose where he just can hang in the air always can hang long enough to get to the other side of the rim for a reverse layup and just kind of amazing stuff there but yeah so what tell me more about the mavericks like their their makeup is they have barnes they have dirk but dirk's kind of like just the there to shoot a little bit and he can't really obviously i don't know if he's ever really been a rim protector but, like, what is their makeup of their team? They got Darren Williams, they got Berea, but he's injured, but everybody's injured. What, what do you see from them?
1: Well, the Mavericks this summer kind of had two goals that weren't necessarily working in tandem. The they were trying to put together the most competitive roster possible while also uh, trying to, to get pieces that were going to be part of the post Dirk pool. They were trying to give them mm-hmm. a chance to compete in this twilight, And build for the post or future, and you know it's uh, it's tough to pull off both. Um, They've got a foundation piece in Harrison Barnes. Seth Curry, who has uh, been in the starting lineup lately, as they've kind of gone to a three guard look with Wesley Matthews bumping up to the three, has at least shown. You know, I mean, he's a Curry; he can shoot it. But he's done enough other things to be able to stay on the floor Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and be a contributor. Um, but, you know, they, they're, they're, it's this weird thing where, you know, as much as you want to talk about a youth movement, they, they've got Bogut, who's injured right now. doesn't necessarily work well with Dirk because of the fact that they're, you know, they're, there's obviously not a lot of speed there. Dirk's 38 years old and still the second-best player on this team, and that's only because Barnes has been much better than uh, most people anticipated, although you obviously were ahead of the curve there, thinking him his most improved. Uh, D. Will's a bet on a one-year deal. Uh, Wesley Matthews is, is kind of in between. He's, he's 30 years old. He has two years left on his deal, and they do see him as a guy who uh, they think could be a foundation piece mm-hmm. uh, after Dirk leaves. They love they love his toughness. They love his his character. You know, they they love his competitiveness.
0: Love uh, him as a player. Yeah,
1: right. he, you know, he's got he's got game winning stops on Damian Lillard and Jimmy Butler this year. You know, he he doesn't want to hear about tanking. Um, but like I said, it, it, it's a it's a weird situation where they are kind of they've kind of got half a you know they've got one foot in rebuilding mode they've got one foot in trying to compete for uh, the right to get their asses kicked by Golden State in the first round of the playoffs and you know they, they've got they've got crotch burn because they're straddling a fence it's not a whole lot of fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Let's um, discuss more legacy here. Let's talk about Dirk. Um, he is, I believe, I just looked it up, he's seventh on the all-time scoring list. I think his legend... Sixth. Don't no, no six, six. Sixth now? I just checked it. Hmm. Let's see here. He
1: must be looking at the, one of those NBA, ABA lists.
0: Oh, yeah, because... Yeah, I'm looking at the basketball reference right now. NBA, ABA. Must must add a Wilt Chamberlain, I think, in. Um, but So he'd be sixth on the NBA list. There we go. Sixth on the NBA Adds uh, Julius Irving, I believe, um, yeah. and ahead of him. So he's sixth on the NBA list, and I think his legacy is going to go down as the best foreign player ever. What do you think he's going to really end up being? Well, uh,
1: certainly the best Euro. When you talk about best foreign, uh, Keith on obviously went to college in the United States, but... You know, Olajuwon was a two ring guy, Defensive Player of the Year, also an MVP, Finals MVP. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hey, Dirk changed the game. I mean, that, I, that that to me is his legacy. He is a champion who changed the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, there you know, there there were a few power forwards who occasionally shot threes, but there are the, the term stretch four exists primarily because Dirk gets I mean, mm-hmm. and You know, for years and years and years, he was criticized because. Uh, he was this soft hero and, you know, he was a seven-footer who shot threes and blah, blah, blah. And I, I think people confuse a finesse game for being soft. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, soft is not the case. Soft, you know, soft guys don't put up the kind of numbers he does and then put up even better numbers during the playoffs. Yeah. That just doesn't happen. You know, think so that- soft guys, they, they don't get a tooth knocked out uh, in a playoff game when, when they're young. You know, go, Make sure that the, you don't bleed to death and jump back in the game and finish with the scoring floor to to, uh, to beat the Spurs. You know that the Mavericks didn't win that series, but I think Dirk was something like out, 23, 24 at the time, and you know that they, they, just soft guys don't have a playoff series where they average thirty three and I think it was thirty three and fourteen against Kevin Garnett and, uh, <laughs> and sweep the Minnesota Timberwolves. Wow. So I always thought the soft label was lazy. Was was ignorant, and you haven't heard a whole lot of that since 2011. When you know, I mean, look through NBA history and tell me how many one All-Star teams have won the championship. There, there haven't been very many. It's, it's hard, rare. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's what Dirk did with those Mavericks. So, uh, like I said, his, his legacy is he's a champion who revolutionized the power forward position to the point where now. You know, when, guy, when power forwards come in the league and they don't have the three-pointer in their game, it's considered a weakness. Where before, uh, you know, when Dirk came in the league, people wanted to criticize him because he was a three-point shooter, which, you know, uh, as you, people have studied the game and the analytics have kind of become commonplace in the NBA, it certainly seems ridiculous at this point.
0: Yeah, people at the time, Dirk was, they wanted they wanted Zach Randolph, they wanted Zebo as a power forward, and then now it's like, Draymond is the is the ideal where you, if you can guard, you can shoot a little bit, and you can play like a little bit, then you can be a power forward in this league. Um, I really am glad Dirk got his got his ring in 2011. I just was really hoping for that. Do you remember which game it was that he basically, like, was it 24 free throws in one game? Trying to ice it all with free throws? Was that the finals game? Uh, that, no, that was, I want to say that was game two
1: against the, uh, against the- where he had yeah. 48 points on 15 field goals. <laughs> KD, KD had 40 in that game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's. Um, but you know, and, and look, that wasn't even the most memorable uh, performance of that playoff run. Oh yeah, ever. You know, he, had, he had two game winners during the finals, and obviously there was a revenge factor against the Heat after 2006, when mm-hmm. that was one of those rare playoff series where he didn't uh, come up big. And, you know, he, he didn't close in, in those finals when they had the chance. and He had to live with that for five years. And, you know, frankly, he still has to live with that today. Uh, but it's a hell of a lot easier to live with when he's got that championship ring, when he's, you know, when he's got that finals MVP trophy, uh, whatever bookshelf at home. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll never forget game five in Oklahoma City where it, it – uh, I'm sorry, game four in Oklahoma City where it, it looks like, okay, uh, huh? the – it, you know, it, it looked like the Thunder were going to come back and, and tie that series. I mean, they were up 15 points with, uh, with five minutes remaining. And, you know, the, the Mavericks just dominated down the stretch and, and forced overtime. Dirk had scored 12 points, I think, in those last five minutes. Uh, they just couldn't guard them. You know, no matter what they did, they, they just couldn't stop them. You know, they win that game. They slammed the door and in game five. Go off the finals, by the way, game two in the finals, down 15 with five, point, or with five minutes left uh Derek puts the Mavericks on his back and they come back and win that thing with him uh making a beautiful spin move on Bosch and finishing left for the game winner. So uh, you know that that playoff run uh and it's not that he didn't get help. You know, Jason Kidd's a Hall of Famer, but we understand that wasn't prime Jason Kidd at that point, but he, he was unbelievable during that stretch. Uh Sean Barry and Deshaun Stevens on
0: the defense. Sean has got a, <laughs> Yeah,
1: Tyson is, is the uh As the you know, not not only the the rim protector, the defensive anchor, uh, the kind of a heart and soul guy, and and the guy Mm -hmm. who provided vertical spacing for Mm -hmm. that offense that made it easier for everybody else to do their jobs. Jason Terry was great, JJ Barea, so on and so forth. But again, there was one All Star on that team that was Dirk, and and, you know he he was the best player in the NBA during those playoffs. I mean. Mm -hmm. Talking about, they went through Kobe, they went through KD and Russ, they went through uh, LeBron and Dwayne Wade. When they were all at their peak in
0: each of those series, when they were all at their peak, pretty much, I mean, that was around Kobe's peak. LeBron was still peaking. Yeah, the Lakers
1: were two time defending champions, nobody gave the Mavericks. You know, the Mavericks were a 57 win three seed. I, I know it was a three seed, I believe it was a 57 win team. Nobody gave them a chance to beat the Lakers. Those were the two-time defending Lakers, mm-hmm. uh, defending champion Lakers. They not only beat them, they swept them, and blew them out in, in Game Four, and just humiliated Phil Jackson in the, in the final uh, game of his coaching career. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, you know you, you got to mention Rick Carlisle. That, that was one of the, in my, in my opinion, one of the great coaching jobs in NBA history. Yep. Um, you know, uh, just pushing all the right buttons down to one of the finals, put J.J. Barea uh, in the starting lineup. He's amazing, that series. Uh, yeah, I mean, in, in the Lakers series, Phil Jackson was never able to figure out uh, uh, how to respond to the lineup that the Mavericks had barely used it at that point, and that was Dirk and four bench players. Dirk, Brendan Haywood as a rim protector, and then uh, J.J. Brea, Jet Terry, and Peja Stojakovic, and, and that's the lineup that just shot the Lakers' Out of the series, wow! Um, you know, and, and, and you know, Brendan Haywood uh, earned his ring in that series right there. So did Pedro Stoicovich, um, and, and Rick Carlisle was just unbelievable throughout that playoff run. And it, you know, it helped that you look at you look at that team, and there's three guys now who are uh, who are head coaches in the NBA who were either on that staff or on the floor: Jason Kidd's obviously in Milwaukee, Terry Stotts in Portland. And then Dwayne Casey in Toronto and, and you know, last year both Stotts and Dwayne Casey were coach of the year candidates. Well mm-hmm. that was the the Mavericks offensive and defensive yeah. coordinator. So not only did Rick Carlisle press all the right buttons, but he did a hell of a job of putting the staff
0: together for that. Yeah, let's talk about Carlisle more. I was I always think he's one of the best coaches. I think he gets underrated because everybody talks about Popovich, and Popovich is good. But Carlisle seems to get the I mean most out of his teams. Like Popovich has what is it? three, four Hall of Famers most of the last decade, or all the last decade, 15 years. And uh, pa- Carlisle has had one, one Hall of Famer most of the time. And I think he just gets the most out of his players. He's the head of the Coach Association, I believe, and uh, he really yeah. just does a lot with a little bit. What do you think about him, his legacy as a person?
1: Well, again, 2011, you know, I think some his status as one of the elite coaches in the NBA. And yet Pop is at... Pops on a a tier of his own. There there is Pop, and then we talk about the rest of the coaches in the league. Well, Rick Carlisle is right at the top of uh, of that tier beneath uh, beneath Pop. And look, and and and, hey, I've I've seen him win chess matches with Pop. You know, there was a uh, a playoff series a couple years ago where the Mavericks had no business. Matter of fact, the last time the Spurs won the championship, uh, the the Mavericks had no business being making that competitive against the Spurs, and, and they somehow pushed it to seven games. Um, nobody else pushed the Spurs to seven games during during those, that, the, those playoffs, and that was because uh, Rick really kind of jumped up, and the Spurs blew him out in game seven, and it's like, okay, Pop finally figured out all the all the gimmicks and gadgets and tricks that, that Rick had used in that series in, in game seven, but it was a remarkable coaching job just to make that a competitive series. And, you know, last year... Uh, I'd give them the Mavericks up for dead. Uh, I'd, I'd shovel out and just burying them uh, in, in late to mid-March. and Not only did they finish the season strong and, and make the playoffs despite the fact that they had all kinds of injuries. Jaren Williams' was out Chandler Parsons season was over because of his knee injury after he'd been playing the best basketball in his career. Um, but they ended up being the sixth seed. Now, you know, they only won a eight playoff game against Oklahoma City, but if you, they're, they're, they had no business being in that series. They had no business being in the playoffs, but they somehow managed to finish strong with J.J. Barea starting a point guard, mm-hmm. and Justin Anderson uh, starting small forward and, and you know, just kind of center by committee. Um, and, I mean, Rick will always get the most out of his roster which is another reason why the Mavericks are uh, frankly stuck on this mediocrity treadmill, because they have a coach who's too good for them to be bad enough to get the kind of picks that, that are required to, to go into a you know full-fledged rebuilding project.
0: Yeah, it's, it's like it's like he can be the coach once they get those players and make them great, but it's like how he's too good. But it's also this whole thinking just to, like, it's it's not a sure thing that whoever you pick if you're bad enough for long enough, you're automatically going to get the players you need who will mature at the right time to make you a championship team. Like it's, it's, it takes a lot of participation and luck from everybody involved. I mean, the Thunder were able to do it with getting, what was it Durant, Westbrook, Harden, and Ibaka in like three straight drafts. Yeah. I mean, like It takes a lot of doing, and you don't have to necessarily just be really bad and then get all your players and then automatically in three years you're really good. It's much more complicated and Obviously,
1: obviously the, the three superstars, and it, it's a shame they couldn't figure out a way to uh, make that window last longer than it did, but the three superstars were all top five picks. But every single draft, go back and look, you will find a, a top five bus. There are no guarantees yep. even at the top of the draft. And, and you can also, every single draft, or at least the vast majority of drafts, you can find guys who are... are Non lottery picks who end up being, you know, if not superstars, at least star players. You I mean, know, the Mavericks have only had one lottery pick during Rick Carlisle's window, and they they botched as bad as you box a, a, a pick. That was when they were, you know, in, in all in on uh, trying to you know get a, a, a big fish in free agency. Dwight Howard was the target there. know, the, uh, Mark Cuban was pitching pennies trying to create cap space and you got Donnie Nelson, the president of basketball operations, telling Cuban, hey, this skinny kid, nobody knows a lot about him from Greece, man. He can play. I mean, <laughs> he's raw, but he's going to be good. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he, he, uh, this kid's going to
0: and he's not ready now, but he's going to be really good. Giannis? you uh, There you go, the Greek freak. And he said, "Nah, let,
1: let, let's let's save about four hundred grand in cap space by oh trading gosh. down twice." It's
0: like nothing. So oh, good.
1: They trade down at thirteen, they, and and uh, obviously the Greek freak goes fifteen to Milwaukee. They trade down again at sixteen. They end up drafting Shane Larkin at eighteen. Oh my god! By the way, Rudy Gobert goes twenty-seven in that draft. But you know, again, that, that's that's both proof that you can find big-time talent. In the middle of the draft, it, it, it takes it takes work, it takes luck, but you can. And it's also proof of the Mavericks completely botching the draft. And and that, honestly, if you look, if if you want to discuss, people always look at free agency with the Mavericks and, and talk mm-hmm. about the front office failures mm-hmm. there. And and that's that's easy, that's obvious. They have made that the priority, and they, and they have not been able to, uh, you know, get their top target at any point. You know, they finally hit on one here with Harrison Barnes, who's uh paying dividends, but they, they've yet to get their top target. And but I, I I trace it back to the draft. It's hard to convince guys that Dallas should be their destination in free agency mm-hmm. when they look at the roster and say, Well man, Dirk is great, but now you know how how many years does he have left? And they don't see any young talent. They don't see uh you know any any hope for growth in the future because there's not young talent on the roster. And that's what happens when you one legitimate NBA player over the last decade. No, by the way, that's Jay Crowder, who ended up trading for Rajon Rondo. Oh my
0: gosh! Yeah, that whole thing with Rondo and Carlisle. It's also like hard because people fans think, oh, just be bad, get your draft picks, and and then make a contender. Every single team that I could think of has those core young players has to get free agents that have, are really good role players or something. At crucial times, like you have to be good enough to draw the free agents to make an impact, to get to the next well, level. It, yeah, and you know the whole tank load up on
1: draft picks and off you go. It, hey, it sounds it sounds a lot easier than it is, and I think you can ask Minnesota about that. Yep. You know they they uh they, how long ago was it that they traded Kevin Garnett? And they've hit on some draft picks since then, but they haven't sniffed the playoffs. I mean, they hit on Kevin Love. You know, but they, they weren't able to, uh, you know, they, they weren't able to make the playoffs with him. Now, uh, perhaps if they had drafted Steph Curry instead of uh, Johnny Flynn, uh, the two, yeah, or you know, or even Rubio, the, the two point guards that they took there, then uh, then it'd be a different story. But now you look at Minnesota, and man, they've got three really really talented young players. I mean, Wiggins and Levine are both. A, very talented, and Carl Anthony Towns has a chance to be uh, in the MVP conversation for for a long, long time. And yet, they're still but, not going to
0: make the playoffs.
1: Exactly. And, and you talk about a team that needs, a, you know, needs a, a great vet. You know, needs kind of a, a glue guy there. That's them. And, and look, those guys. Are, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Minnesota ends up finishing the second half of the season strong. Mm-hmm. I mean, making the playoffs is still a possibility, just because of what we've talked about. Yeah. With, that eighth seed being wide open in the Western Conference but I think if you look at uh, the Mavericks before their long, long run of playoff appearances, look at that last season when they didn't make the playoffs. It was actually right after Cuban bought the team. They finished that season strong and then that kind of plants the seeds for a long run. I think if you look at uh, Oklahoma City before their run of playoff appearances, mm-hmm. uh, that you know, they finished when they had that young core. You know, they were out of contention but they you know, they finished the season strong in the second half. And, again, that's something that they were able to build off of. And it wouldn't surprise me if the second half of the season for the Timberwolves was that sort of a thing. Because, you know, they, they've got unbelievable young talent, but just kids that do not even know how to win in the NBA uh, at this point.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, we're wrapping up here. And I uh, just wanted to get – I know there's a whole con- – not controversy, but things with uh, Cuban and you and everybody. But I just want to get your thoughts on him as an owner, as a person, as – Business, whatever you want to say about him and the uh, how he leads a team, how he, how he, how he, because he's one of the most influential owners, I guess you could say, in terms of his team and makeup. What do you think about him and how it all, all works?
1: Well, there, there's no question that uh, I, I think the pros of Cuban as an owner certainly outweigh uh, the con when you look at what the Mavericks have been able to do over the course of his ownership tenure. I mean, they've got, uh, you know, there, there's three franchises in NBA history that have had runs of 51 seasons, of you know, uh, 11 years or more. You're talking about Bill Russell, Celtics, Tim Duncan's uh, Spurs, or I guess you should say Pop Spurs, because that's <laughs> obviously going to continue this year, and and Dirk's Mavericks. Now, mm-hmm. keeping in there, Dirk, and, you know, we could argue about whether he uh, maximized the Dirk window, and certainly straightened Steve Nash. I'm sorry, not trade, but letting Steve Nash go to Phoenix Mm -hmm. in free agency when it wasn't even close to a max contract just before his two MVPs uh, would be in the calm category (laughs) for Mr. Cuban. But uh, there's no more passionate owner in the NBA. I I think sometimes his passion gets in the way of of reason. Um, But... Yeah, you know, and, and the other thing, when you're evaluating Cuban as an owner, I think you have to evaluate Cuban as a general manager. Mm-hmm. He's not technically the general manager, but he's making every basketball decision. So, when you're criticizing the Mavericks for you know failures in free agency and, and and not being able to you know to draft over the last decade, I mean that that falls on Cuban's shoulders as much as anybody. But you know, all in all, the Mavericks were an irrelevant franchise. They were a laughing stock when he bought them. And they've had a hell of a lot of success with him. They've been able to su- uh, sustain success until recently. Um, so, you know, I-, I think it's hard to be too critical of Cuban as an owner.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, to get us out here, the last thing was how great was that um, day on Twitter, the night on Twitter when DeAndre Jordan l- went to go away and everybody's flying and taking buses all over Texas to find his house. And that, how, What was that like for you? <laughs> Obviously, it,
1: it, it wasn't exactly entertaining for me because I'm in the you know, I'm in the middle of the storm trying to uh, track everything down. And frankly, my sources didn't know what the hell was going on because they were uh, on the outside looking in. Uh, a lot of misinformation. Trust me, Mark Cuban knew where DeAndre Jordan's house was.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Uh, you know, uh, it was funny. Chandler Parsons wasn't even flying to Houston. He was flying to L.A. People... You know, it's funny how uh, how much an emoji can be uh, interpreted and misinterpreted. Yeah, but he would have. Hey, he would have flown to Houston if he thought there was anything he could do once he got there. Yeah. But what you know, one, once DeAndre started waffling, once the Clippers converged on his house in Houston, it, it was done. Uh, it, the Mavericks were done. And you know, when we're talking about the Mavericks' failures in free agency, hey. That one, it, it's hard to pin that one on, on Cuba. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that they had convinced DeAndre Jordan, temporarily it turns out, but think what they did. There's no more glamorous city than, than L.A. for NBA players. Mm-hmm. The Clippers, you know, they, they haven't gotten to the conference finals, I understand that, but you, they've got two perennial all-stars there. They, they certainly have a, a contender quality roster, mm-hmm. um, and he had to take a little bit less money, so... Less glamorous city, less talented roster, less money, and the Mavericks convinced DeAndre Jordan to come to Dallas.
0: Yeah, now, that's on no wonder
1: him. DeAndre changes his mind, by That's way. on DeAndre, for uh, sure. Yeah, and hey, I, I think he, he made the decision that was best for him. Uh, the Mavericks did a hell of a sales job, but they just weren't able to close the deal. You know, Janda Parsons left his guy's side, and, you know, here come the Clippers, and, and that's all she wrote. But that... that slam the door on any possibility of, of Dirk being able to uh, forget about compete for a championship, but you know, be on a team that can, that can do any sort of playoff damage during the twilight of his career. So mm-hmm. it, it's a shame in that sense. And certainly uh, DeAndre will always be a villain in Dallas because of the way that things went down. Mm-hmm. But, again, when you just stack the situation side by side, the guy made the right decision for himself.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, why don't you plug your stuff and your Twitter handle, and we'll get out of here.
1: Uh, I mean, I would appreciate anybody who is interested in the NBA always coming to visit us at espn.com, making that a, a daily stop. And I'm on Twitter at espn underscore McMahon.
0: Wonderful. I'm at at Eric underscore Star, and this is the Solar Insights Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.